All right, let's turn over to John 15. John 15. And we'll be looking today at verses 9 through 15. John 15, verses 9 through 15. And we want to consider the words of our Lord that are found in the text. Simply entitled, As I have loved you. As I have loved you. As we look at this text this morning, uh, we remember that we've been dealing and considering the Lord, his declaration of being the true vine. And as the true vine, we know that he has instructed us that the branches that are connected to that vine will produce fruit. We've been dealing with the thought of abiding in Christ. He abides in us. We abide in him. But we see in verse number 12 specifically, we'll begin there and then we'll go back and go through these verses uh, verse by verse. Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. It's very similar to what he says in verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Before we begin, let's just consider for a moment what Christ is saying. He's telling them, he's telling those that are in him, I love you as the Father loves me. I love you as the Father loves me. How does the Father love the Son? The Father loves the Son in an eternal manner. He loves the Son in an unchangeable manner. He loves the Son in a constant manner, and it's also full and perfect. In all these things, Christ himself says, I love you the way my Father loves me. Now, folks, that ought to encourage us today to stop and consider for a moment what it means to be loved by Christ. What it means to be loved in the same manner in which the Father loves the Son. It ought to encourage us to cherish the idea that the Savior of the world loves us as the Father loves Him. Some might say, what does Christ love? Well, we could say Christ loves a number of things. We could say Christ loves the world. He loves those that are in it. He loves His creation. But imagine being told by Christ Himself that I love you the way that the Father loves me, and now I want you to love one another the same way in which I love you. He's not talking about some superficial type of love. He's talking about something that is similar. It is to abide in Him, to abide in His Word, and also to abide in His love. Folks, this is a picture of what true faith and what discipleship should look like. It should be based upon a love that is the way the Father loves the Son, and in turn, the way the Son loves His children, the way Christ loves us. We've been dealing a lot about dealing with good works and fruit, and I save the, the confession reading for right now because I, I think it'll tie directly to this. 
But it's in, it's in chapter 16, the section on good works, in paragraph 7. It says, Works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands, and of good use both to themselves and to others. Yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God. They are therefore sinful and cannot please God, nor make a man meet to receive grace from God. And yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing to God. Oftentimes people are very quick to point out commandments. They're quick to point out, has God said or thus saith the Lord, but here is a commandment. Verse 12, that ye love one another. You love one another the way I have loved you. It's a commandment. We accept commandments, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't bear false witness. Those commandments, we have no problem accepting those, but yet here's a commandment he gives to his disciples and he says, listen, you ought to love one another the same way I've loved you. Now in the context of these verses, verses 9 through 15, we see there, and again in verses 9 and 10, he says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Again, we can't miss the idea that he's been talking about abiding in Christ. We can't miss the context of what he's been saying. But he shows us that to abide in Christ in verse 9 really shows us that there is a confidence that we can have in Christ and there is something that we are to continue in. We continue in my love, he says. What's interesting is the word continue in the original language. Again, I don't claim to be a scholar in this, just basic word search. The word continue is the same word as abide. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Abide ye in my love. Continue. Continue isn't by our workmanship. It isn't by our strength. To continue or to abide in the love of Christ is to recognize it. Enjoy it for what it is. Walk in it. Walk consistently in the love of Christ. Oftentimes, what we, our minds uh, immediately kick into action and we say, all right, he says to love one another and love people the way he's loved me. How do I do that? The way we do that is by continuing in his love, recognizing it for what it is, rejoicing in it. Walk consistently daily in what it means to be loved by Christ. Again, there is this tendency in all of us 
to say, okay, God gives a commandment. What do I do with that commandment? How do I do it? The truth is you and I can't do it. There's impossible for you by yourself to love as Christ has loved you. You cannot love in the same manner. You, it's impossible for you to actually love the way he loves us. Why? Because he loves in an eternal, unchangeable, constant, full, and perfect way. We can't even love our families that way. But we can continue and recognize his love and continue in that. But notice this doesn't stop there. The second half of that verse, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue in my love. And then into verse 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. There is this, there's this recognition that in order to abide in his love, there is going to be a keeping of those commandments. There's going to be a desire to truly follow him. He's, he's confessing something. Jesus is, is confessing that there is a love that I have for you. And what that's going to mean in us is that we are going to confess our love for him. Keeping his commandments, you shall abide in my love. The desire to keep, the desire to abide, the desire to do those things is a confession that we truly love him also. We love Christ as truly as the Father loves the Son, so truly does Christ love us. It's, it's remarkable that in the same manner, the Father loved the Son. That means God the Father never began to love the Son. He always loved the Son. He has never once ceased to love the Son. He's never once changed his love. It does not have an end. It cannot be measured. Jesus says, that's the way I love you. There's some texts in the Bible that absolutely stump us. We could talk about some giant theological terms. There are words in our confession that we say, huh, what's that mean? But do you understand that the word, the phrase, Christ loves us as the Father loved him. Do you know how remarkable that is and how deep that is? I mean, we use words like sanctification and justification and imputed righteousness. We say those are deep concepts. The fact that the Father loved the Son and then the Son loves us as the Father loved him, that's a deep well. Because you can't get to the bottom of it. So you ask somebody to describe what it means to be loved by Christ, what it means to be loved by Jesus himself, and there is no human definition you can put on this that would accurately describe it. You can't go to the store and buy a card. You can't, you can't spend money at Hallmark and, and replicate it. Man's, man's idea of love is so framed in the human side of it. It's, it's framed in the human emotion. And again, the greatest emotion and probably one of the greatest abilities that we have is the opportunity to love another person. It really is. It's an amazing thing that God gives us families, God gives us people around us that we are able to love. But even that, no matter how much a parents love their children, no matter how much a husband loves his wife and a wife loves her husband, you are not going to be able to compare it to having the love of Christ for us in the same manner that the Father loves the Son. And yet, 
This is probably one of the more of the deep text and the meaning you'll never find it just in these few words as the father hath loved me. So have I loved you. You see, there's a desire to comply with his word when you realize how loved you are by him. Compliance is not a, it's not a word that's meant to say it's forced Compliance is these words when I recognize as the Father hath loved me and the Christ has loved me as the Father loved him. I want to be compliant. I want to be pliable to his word. I want to obey him. I don't just simply want to take the benefits of Christ. I want to obey those who truly believe, those who truly desire faith and to walk you're going to want to be in his word. You're going to want to desire the things. Those who truly love Christ and love him are going to walk with him. They're going to continue in the faith. They're going to desire to continue. Why? Because of his love. Imagine Christ the Father or Christ the Son could never do anything to lessen the love of the Father. I'm always struck by these things because Jesus is talking to the disciples in such terminology that we look at it and, and we, we, we so quickly look at it and say, what a conversation they were having. This must have been something, but he's talking such deep spiritual truths to them. This, is, this isn't a, again, pardon this expression, this isn't like a coffeehouse expression. This isn't a coffeehouse conversation. We've, we, have, we have so become... We want, we want the, the meaning of something and we want it given to us simply and, and we want the words of God to be brought down to a, an elementary level so that we can grab it. I, I've even heard preachers say this. You know, we want, we want the words of Jesus to be put on the low shelf so that everybody can reach it. And I understand what you're saying. I understand that. But if you just view this through the lens of the common human idea of love, you're never going to understand and see what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples. This, this men, when we show love and we demonstrate a desire to follow after him, what we are demonstrating and showing in our life is that there has truly been an operation of the grace of God in our heart. A true love for Christ is going to be evidenced by a continuing in it. Now, again, why is he telling the disciples this? I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but he's telling them this because in a few, a short amount of time, this is all going to be put to the test. He's preparing them for something. He's preparing them for when real struggle is going to come. It's easy to abide in the love of Christ when Christ is seated at the table with you bodily as he is with them here. It's a whole different thing that when they are sent out and he goes away from them, now is when the reality is going to set in. You see, this abiding in Christ brings a confession of our love for him, but it also brings a continuance. We have a confidence that we can continue in him by recognizing who he is. I would dare say that when most people think of doctrine, this is not one of the passages that comes up as being deep theological doctrinal thought. However, I would disagree with that. This is some of the deepest doctrine Jesus ever spoke. He's teaching a theology class, if you will. 
He's, he's giving more than just, hey, here's a little bit of nourishment to get you by. He's telling them, it is the doctrine of my love for you that is what is going to help you endure through what's coming. Again, sometimes we don't realize how important it is to have a love of Christ because I'm not sure we fully understand what's coming for us. And yet, here this is a command of God. Some people flippantly can say, I love the Lord. But do you love the Lord the way the Father loved the Son? I love the Lord and here's why and here's how. And maybe those things are so, but understand that we cannot truly say we love the Lord if we're not willing to be in obedience to His commandments. I can say I love an individual, but if I don't desire to be in compliance with things to prove that. Remember, we're talking about works here. Even in the confession, we just read that about good works. Even an unregenerate man can do a quote-unquote act of love. But if it's done not from the wrong motive, not because of the love of Christ, it's still in and of itself, it seems good to the world, but yet... It's not of God. It's not for the glory of God. This love of God is more than just an emotional saying. This is a, it's to the glory. So we keep his commandments. We desire. Notice he says, I have kept my father's commandments, verse 10, and abide in his love. These things, verse 11, I have spoken unto you. Now notice this, that my joy my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You see, in Christ or to abide in Christ, it brings perfect contentment. There's a complete joy in us. Again, we sometimes define joy by the expression on our face. We say that person doesn't seem very joyful. They're countenance. They don't seem very joyful. Joy, I don't think, is so much an outward as it is an inward presence and an inward understanding of having the love of Christ. However, I do think that the more joyful we are, the more joyful, joyous we are about the love of Christ, I think it's hard for us to contain it. It's hard for us just to stay inside because we know I'm beginning to understand what the love of Christ for me is. His words, Jesus' words here, Remember, he's speaking to this to them with regard to their union. I'm the vine, he had told them. You are the branches. His love for them and their love for him in return, his exhorting them to continue in him, they were spoken. He says, these things have I spoken unto you. What things is he talking about? He's talking about the previous 10 verses we've mentioned here. These things, all of these things I speak unto you in order that my joy, my peace, and my rest might remain in you. These disciples are getting ready to endure the severest trial of their lives. And they don't even know it. Difficult times were coming. He's not fully told them that. Now in John 16, if you want to just maybe go across the page or turn a page, you'll see John 16, Jesus will turn this narrative and will begin to tell them 
Now, man, all the things I told you before, here's why I was telling you those. John 16, verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. Now, I want you to put yourself in the place of these disciples hearing Jesus who just spoke about how much I love you. I love you like the Father loves me. And then he tells them, he doesn't say, here's what might happen to you. He says, here's what's coming. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Well, that's a joyous thought, isn't it? Why do you think Jesus said that my joy needs to remain in you? See, joy is not based upon your outward circumstances. Your joy is based on the love of Christ. Your circumstances are going to lead you to say, that's not joyful. But my joy in Christ, he says, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. Now, to Jewish believers, you think this isn't a big deal? To Jewish believers, that's a big deal. Even to be put out of the synagogue, you're no longer welcome. And as a matter of fact, not only are they going to put you out, they're going to put a bounty on you. That whosoever kills you, they're going to say, we're doing God a service. And these things, watch this, will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. It's the Pharisees going to do it, the religious leaders of the day. But these things have I told you. He doesn't say if the time comes. He says that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning. Watch this. Because I was with you. I didn't tell you these things because I didn't want you to get the idea that I'm with you and I'm always going to be here. I'm telling you now because I'm not bodily going to be here. What's going to remain is my joy and my love for you. That's what's remaining. You see, there's contentment. He's telling them, you will recall and remember what I said when those days come. You'll remember it. Joyful. My joy that your joy might be full. You know, it's sad that we have to sometimes correct what the modern day exposition of this is. The fact that Jesus says, my joy in you might remain in you and that your joy might be full has been, has just been corrupted to believe that you're going to have this best life, great life, joyous mind. Because you have my joy, your life is going to be one joyful day after another. You're never going to have a problem. You're never going to have a concern. That's not what the Bible's teaching at all. Even through the severest trial, he said, my joy that's in you is so that your joy would be full. It doesn't necessarily mean of volume. It means of completeness. You can't get a greater joy than the joy that you'll get in Christ. Our greatest joy is not what's offered to us from the outside in. It's the joy that Christ being in us so abiding in Christ brings this perfect contentment. It brings us complete joy. And back in our text, he, now he goes back to, and we go back to verse 12. He said, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. 
Abiding in Christ does bring commandments that we are to obey. There is a commandment to love one another. He's speaking here of persevering in the faith. He's speaking of setting forth what evidence of true discipleship is. And he gives the clearest proof and the sign that you are one of the branches that are unified with me, that ye love one another. Now, this is a theme that Jesus had done. He had spoken rather previously. It wasn't something new. We know all the way back in John 13, verses 34 through 35, when he introduced it, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. This wasn't the first time Jesus used that expression, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Love, we know scripturally, is the principle or primary commandment. When they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, it was to love thy neighbor as thyself. Love is the principal commandment on which all other commandments rest. In other words, if I miss the commandment of love, I will miss all the other commandments of God. God is love. Love is of God. We know in 1 John chapter 4, John's words are, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Let's, let's turn over there, 1 John 4. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll read verses 7 through 11 and then verses 20 through 21. But you'll see this, this principle here. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Drop down to verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. As we're in Christ, we're in his word, and we abide in his love, we are able to love one another. And we ought to continue and keep on loving one another. Now again, the problem is man gauges love by man's outward opinion or definition of love. I don't want to be too transparent or too personal here, but when someone tells you, you don't love me, oftentimes they're saying that based upon their own standard of what they want from you as love. There have been times where even in our family, your family, you've had to make very difficult choices. You've had to say things, do things that the appearance was you're saying this and doing this because you don't love me. When in, I, I, in, in reality, it's the very opposite. The reason I am saying it, the reason I am doing it is because I love you. See, man wants to be loved a certain way. And all of us have different levels of what that looks like. 
And what's happened is this has infiltrated churches where there's become just one definition. You don't love me because you don't. And it's one of the great, it's one of the great problems even in husband-wife relationships, if we're honest. Oftentimes, they love one another, but the other one is struggling. That's not the way I want you to love me. Christ loves us the way the Father loved him. Now, do you think that love is based on what the human emotion of love, what it wants it to be? No, it's based on a perfect love that you and I have a hard time, if possible, of even visualizing what that looks like. <laughs> I mean, if you tell me, I know, how to, I know how to love perfectly, I got it. I want to sit down now and I want you to come and teach us that. I, honestly, I'm not being a small, I want you to teach us that because I, I can't fully understand that. But I do have a desire to want to love as Christ is commanding us to do. And if we couldn't do some, part, some way of it, he wouldn't tell us or command it. But yet we do know that we are, in our humanity, we are a bit limited. But there is this commandment to love, but there's also in verse 13, there is a certainty of his love. When you take this verse, verse 13, and you combine it with what he's saying, you are seeing the kind of love the Lord is saying we are to have one another. He gives an illustration of a greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Again, the disciples are not fully aware that what Jesus is saying here is actually prophetic. He's telling them, I'm getting ready to demonstrate to you the greatest demonstration of love is when a friend, and that's important, when a friend lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is referring to his disciples as friends. And if you think that's a minor uh, declaration, you'd be wrong. He's calling these disciples friend. And he said, there's no greater demonstration of the love the Father has for me and me for you than what I'm getting ready to do for you. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I, in order to show love, have to go to a cross and die for our loved one. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, and he is showing us this. When you combine these thoughts as I have loved you, I lay down my life for you. Because, folks, there's absolutely no way you and I can copy infinite love. There's no way you and I can replicate substitutionary love. Even if I died in your place, I would not fully replicate what Jesus Christ's substitutionary death was doing. And I cannot replicate redemption. I cannot, by my love, fully show the redemptive love of the Lord. However, what are the principles here? There's a principle here of self-sacrifice. There's a principle here of self-denial. There's the principle here of doing all that we can do for the benefit of somebody else, even to the point of denying ourselves if that's what it requires. You know, people often say, I don't care for expositional preaching often because there's not enough practical application. I just gave it to you. Right there it is. That's as clear as it can be. How do I replicate that? Self-sacrifice, self-denial. Do everything you can for the benefit and the well-being of someone else, even if that means you have to deny yourself. Introduce that just 
just randomly, just introduce that into a marriage relationship and tell me how it goes. <laughs> tell, me how that, tell me how those spouses do if both are loving like that. Introduce that into this church, our church, not somebody else, just our church. Tell me how it goes. Because what Jesus is talking about, he's not saying that this is impossible, but he is, there are limits. We can't, we can't completely replicate infinite love, but we can certainly live out love the way Christ has loved us. So what does the love of Christ do? Our love for one another gives. Our love for one another forgives. Our love for one another sacrifices, continues, and it's sincere love. Yes, there'll be sometimes we love with the wrong motive. There'll be sometimes we do what we're not absolutely supposed to do. But he's talking about here that there ought to be the desire to walk in my commandments. And he says in verse 14, and I love this, you think it was good already, as I have loved you, you are my friends. You know, you can only be one of two. You can only be friends with God or enemies with God. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Again, he's not, he's not teaching works. He's saying this is the evidence that you are in me. There will be fruit. Remember, we started this study a month or so ago. There will be fruit in those that are truly his. There's a calling to believers as friends by Christ. We won't turn there, but the word friend carries a powerful message. In Isaiah 41, 8, Abraham is called the friend of God. In Exodus 33, 11, God spoke to Moses as a friend. And here Jesus is calling his disciples, those that are in him, as friends. Friends are those who do his commandments. They desire to live according to his word. Not that they gain favor. You're not getting closer to God or getting more solidified in Christ by doing those things. These are the blessings of being part of that vine. Love is going to be evidence that I am truly a part of the vine. Remember, that's what the whole basis of this was. It's evidence that we're truly sons and the friends of God. And then verse 15, he says, Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now throughout Scripture, it's interesting words that he's using here. Because the Apostle Paul uses these terminologies. He calls himself a servant. He calls himself a slave. He calls himself a bond slave. And we should delight in that. We should delight, as Paul said, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave for Christ. But what Jesus is using here, he's saying to his disciples, you are more to me than just servants. How many times have you heard people say, you know what, getting involved in religion, it just gives God a bunch of people to do what he wants them to do. That is a complete misunderstanding of what scriptures say. As if God needs us to carry out his work. I heard it again this week, someone say, God can't work because of you. And I'm like, where do you get this doctrine from? Who taught you that you're that important? Who taught you that God's work stops because you don't do right? It, it, it's not about that at all. 
We desire to be servants and bond slaves because we have been, as Paul said, we have been apprehended by him. We want to be a servant. We want to be in slavery to him. But he says, you're more than servants. You're my friends. In a true master and slave or bond servant relationship, a master usually keeps himself at a great distance. A master is nothing more than someone who commands them, tells them what to do. He doesn't explain why he wants you to do it. He rewards them or punishes them according to how productive they are. That's what a slave does. That's what a master does. He says, you are a friend. A friend is something totally different. A friend is loved. A friend is taken in confidence. Jesus is telling them, I've brought you in. I've told you the plans. I'm telling you the counsels of God. Christ is revealing to them and he's revealing to us as we're able to receive it, his purposes, his counsel. Why grace is important. And somehow in our own human way through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and giving us the ability to discern it, he gives us his word that reveals the entire glory of his redemption. Christ has made it known to us, not because we're servants, but because we're friends. His friends, the glory, the gospel, the purpose of the Father, somehow missed in all this is when we forget to say that Jesus did not come to do his own will, but he came to do his Father's will. He came to do the purposes of his Father. Jesus says, I've lifted you above the rank of being simply a servant. I've made you a companion at my table. I've made it a privilege for you to sit at the table with me in communion. We talked about this on Wednesday night. The beauty of being in communion with Christ is much more than just a title. It's a reality. I have communion with Christ. He spoke of familiar friends. I still am blown away. And I still, I struggle. He called, he even called Judas a friend. That baffles me. (laughs) He said, friend, doest thou quickly. And we know what he was doing. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. This condition applies to the whole range of what Christ is commanding. We're not to admit any single one of them. We're not to say that one's unimportant or neglect it. It may seem like a small thing. Oh, the Lord's not really concerned about my love for one another. But yet he says, that's one of the greatest evidences that I'm actually one of the branches. I'm producing the fruit of love. What a wonder it is that Jesus loves those that are truly his. What a wonder it is that as the Father loved him, he, Christ, loves us. That means Christ loves us without a beginning. There was never a point in time when Jesus started loving you. Chew on that this afternoon. Someone says, how long has the the Father loved the Son? Forever doesn't doesn't even really explain it. Because our mind cannot fathom that. We still want to point to There had to have been a time when it started. 
No, and in the human, the human design is God loved me the moment I chose to love him first. Yet the Bible says here in his love, it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us is the reason that we love him at all. Well, when did he start loving us? It doesn't have a beginning. Someone falsely says he started loving me the day I trusted him his savior. That's not biblically accurate. It didn't have a beginning. It doesn't have a measure. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians, the width, the breadth, the depth of the riches of Christ and his love. You can't measure it. Someone says, how deep is the love of Jesus towards his own? You cannot measure it by a human measurement. If I was to tell you Jesus loves you as, as, as deeply as the deepest sea, that would not be enough to describe it. You'd still be lacking because you can't measure it. And it doesn't have an end. The Lord tells his people, as I have loved you, love one another. Continue in that. Live in it. Enjoy it. Take it in. Be influenced by my love for you that it produces, reproduces itself in the way you love one another. And here's what happens. We immediately, our mind starts rattling around and say, okay, how do I prove this? How do I prove this? How do I prove this? The reality is the Bible shows us and teaches us that as we're in Christ, it is being, it will be evidenced. Listen, I think the most hurtful thing anybody can ever say to a person who loves another is saying, you don't love me. And the reality is that sometimes love in our human side, we are doing those things that are loving. But the human emotion gets in the way and confuses it and says, listen, uh, that's not real love. Real love demonstrates itself in a lot of different ways. And I hope we'll understand this, this concept as, as I have loved you, you love one another. It's a lot to think on. Let's stand together if you would, and we're going to be dismissed. We'll read our Valley of Vision as we do, appropriately entitled The Love of Jesus. O oh, Father of Jesus, help me to approach Thee with the deepest reverence, not with presumption, not with servile fear, but with holy boldness. Thou art beyond the grasp of my understanding, but not beyond that of my love. Thou knowest that I love Thee supremely, for Thou art supremely adorable, good, and perfect. My heart melts at the love of Jesus, my brother, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, married to me, dead for me, risen for me. He is mine and I am his, given to me as well as for me. I am never so much mine as when I am his, or so much lost to myself until lost in him, then I find my true manhood. But my love is frost and cold, ice and snow. Let his love warm me, lighten my burden, be my heaven. May it be more revealed to me in all its influences that my love to him may be more fervent and glowing. Let the mighty tide of his everlasting love cover the rocks of my sin and care. Then let my spirit float above these, those things which had else wrecked my life. Make me fruitful by living to that love, my character becoming more beautiful every day. 
If traces of Christ's love artistry be upon me, may he work on with his divine brush until the complete image be obtained and I be made a perfect copy of him, my master. O Lord Jesus, come to me. O divine spirit, rest upon me. O Holy Father, look on me in mercy for the sake of the well-beloved. Lord, as we bring our time as a church together to a close today, Lord, we realize that this is not the ending. Lord, we've been challenged in your word to go forth from this place. Lord, and to obey these commandments to love one another. But Lord, we know that will be impossible if we do not dwell and consider and think upon the truth as I have loved you. May the love of Christ be our guide. May it direct us. May it be a a reminder to us each and every day that we have been called to love. Lord, we know that we are still prone to love in an imperfect way. And Lord, we know that if we're honest with one another, we're going to make errors. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to love as we should. We're not going to love perfectly. But may our church, may it understand that there is a desire to be in obedience to the Lord's commands. Lord, I thank you that you have placed each one in this body. And I pray, Lord, that we would be living for your honor and for your glory and that there would be no desire for self-righteousness or self-promotion. Lord, may we guard our hearts. May we guard our, our lips. May we truly desire to live a life that is pleasing unto you. Father, go with us now. Lord, help us to meditate upon these truths. May the Holy Spirit bring them to remembrance often, as often as needed. And Lord, prepare our hearts when we can gather once again. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.